0: Check, one, two, check, check. All right, that's one. So now you give me a check.
1: Check, check, check. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, okay, good. Should we start over this or just go from here? Let's just go. All right. Let's just feel it. All right. Let's do this, Alyssa. Recommend something to me. Anything.
2: Can I recommend, like, a couple things?
3: Wow. Uh, New York City. (laughs) (laughs) really
1: good. I'm obsessed with the new Tame Paula, even though it's like a guilty pleasure. I'm kind of embarrassed about it, but I, it just sounds really good to me.
3: If you didn't already have it, I would recommend the AeroPress Coffee Maker to you. <laughs> watch
2: Broad City. Uh, watch Comedy Bang Bang. Um, telling the Truth.
3: Easy.
4: Yeah, I recommend being honest, I guess. Like, that's, that's the first thing that came to me.
5: I highly recommend the show Desperate Housewives. <laughs> It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen the show *Pretty Little Liars*. I'm sure you have. It's like that, only with adult women from the early 2000s.
0: Had you not seen that before recently?
1: No, it's so dumb. I love it. From a converted broom closet in downtown Seattle, it's the Sub Pop podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, join us for conversations with co-workers, friends, and characters from inside, outside, and adjacent to the record label that's been going out of business since 1988. Your hosts for this season will be me, Alyssa Atkins, and Arwen Nix. Hi, Arwen. Hi, Alyssa. (laughs) So,
0: we are going to be hearing from bands, comedians, artists, videographers, people just in the music industry in general, Sub Pop employees of past and present, and a whole bevy of, of guests that we've encountered on this side of the music business. And since this is episode one, uh, before we just launch into some of our stories that we're going to be hearing, why is Sub Pop doing a podcast, Alyssa?
1: Why now? Why Sub Pop? Why now? Why Sub Pop? Why? Sub-Pop? why? Um, it just felt like the right time. It Actually, it felt long overdue. <laughs> This is, a, this is a project that we've been talking about for a long time and we decided to start talking about it outside of the office instead of just <laughs> internally. Share with people some of the experiences and stories of working with really talented artists and really creative people across all fields. And after three decades of being a, a label, nearly three decades of being a mid-sized, moderately successful label, there's a lot of stories to tell and a lot of good stuff happening.
0: Yes, and it's like there is definitely a bit of a family feel of subhop. It is not that big of a place. There are a lot of people who have worked here for a really long time. You've worked here for how long, Alyssa? I've worked
1: here for over ten years, but it's still a small enough record label, small enough company that you really are in the mix with everybody. Like you are we're all connected and working together very closely. And
0: you're very effective, and I don't mean to throw any shade on anything that anyone does at Sub Pop, but you're a big group of weirdos that kind of talk to each other like 50 siblings that are all hanging out in an office together (laughs) eating popcorn constantly in a way that I've never seen and I think that's one of the reasons why I was brought in as a little bit of an outside perspective to figure out like which of these stories are just like office legend that are funny to us or funny because you were there and which stories are worth like telling to a more general audience and like letting people in, like pulling back the curtain a little bit on Sub Pop artists and Sub Pop's history as a label.
1: Yeah, definitely. So this season pretty much is a collection of stories that typically started out, the story started out with moments overheard around the office and us following up on what was that story again or when did that happen and there's a (laughs) lot of people coming and going out of this office. That's one thing that's really clear, right? As a visitor to the office? Yes. Lots going on Mm -hmm. at any given time. So And we really are just a bunch of super fans and nerds around here, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, music, movies, comedy books, all of it. Any one of us can talk your ear off and have and will at -hmm. any given moment about the things that we love. And so when an artist comes up that a, a large group of us really respects and admires, you can feel it in the room. There's a charge happening in that room. And one of the most clear examples I have in recent history of that is when... The director of SubHop Licensing, Lacey Swain, brought up in a marketing meeting that uh, she had just received an email with Martin Scorsese's name in the subject line.
0: And rather than us try and retell you that story, we reached out to Lacey Swain, the director of licensing, who is also a personal friend of Alyssa's, which might make the beginning of this make a little bit more sense. <laughs> and so this is Lacey Swain and Kat Harris-White telling their Martin Scorsese story.
5: I have a stomachache, Allie. I just woke up and I have a stomachache. And I'm on my period. Okay, hold on. Let me start over. All right. I got an email from Megan, who works at Search Party, who's involved with Vinyl. And she wanted to know if Kat wanted to try for the part of Ruth Brown in the pilot.
2: So (laughs) I was like checking my email like I normally do. I was like, okay, well, what the hell? It said something about HBO casting, and I was like, this must be like, they want us to do some music or something, and I open it. It's just an email saying like, would you like to audition for this role? It was like Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger working on something for HBO. I called Kat immediately, and she was super excited.
5: and was like, Hell yes, I wanna
2: do this. I was like, oh, I could do this. And then I was like watching and like trying to become Ruth Brown and try and pick up her mannerisms. She played the tambourine. I don't play the tambourine. So I had to learn how to do that. Yeah, I, I practiced my ass off. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I, I have to try and get this. So Megan said, but
5: I need to have the taped audition by Monday and this was Friday.
2: I just kind of like freaked out. Lacey was amazing. She like <laughs> she got me a dress. Okay, she's like, what's your size, dude? I'm going to get it. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, Lacey. She's like, you're going to do it. You'll be fine.
5: So over the weekend, I went to the Salvation Army and found this amazing dress.
2: So I was like working on something else, probably earthy. <laughs> and I was probably working on the murder. <laughs> and, and I literally stopped everything.
5: Went to Cat's house on Sunday and dolled her all up. I think that I just taped it on my phone even and had her run through the songs.
2: We did it probably for like 30 minutes to an hour. I I mean, I put on makeup. I got my hair and curlers. I straightened it and curled it up and did all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I was doing whatever, smiling until my face hurt. Uh, You know, like, it was awesome. And we did it a couple times. Lacey, was an excellent director, she was like, all right, she almost got it. We almost got it. And And I sent it to Megan, got an
5: email back it was like she's perfect does
2: she want to do it while I was filming he was there and he came out and he was like fantastic doing a good job He's doing a great job just keep it up just keep it up gorgeous beautiful gorgeous keep it up I was like, oh. <laughs> like I can't breathe <laughs> and I was like thank you you know and I mean I don't know how it personally came out yet because I haven't seen it, but Scorsese said, I did a good job. That's enough. I was like, I'm good for life. I mean, I'm ecstatic to be like, oh, I did a Scorsese film. Like, that's like the cliche they think they, they say, I worked with Scorsese, so you know I'm important. And now I get to say that. So <laughs> it's kind of hilarious.
0: Sub-Pops Director of Licensing, Lacey Swain, and The Satisfactions, Kat Harris-White, talking about what it was like to audition and then get cast in vinyl.
1: Cast in a bit part, hopefully.
0: Hopefully, when it comes out, which is scheduled to come out in the early
1: part of 2016. Yeah, and at the very least, we know that the back of her head is in the trailer. For the, the back show. of her
0: head is for sure in the trailer for vinyl.
1: And I will tell you, I would take that. I'll take just the back of my head in a trailer. See, for I would Martin not. I couldn't work
0: that hard for something like that. I oh, think...
1: No way. The trivia of just being able to say no, that's me—the back of my head.
0: I just think that Cat is a much harder worker than I am.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, in general. And me, yeah, yeah. of
0: course. <laughs> Good job, Cat. Yes, congratulations, Cat. We're very proud of you. Oh. Now we have a quick message from our sponsor, which is us.
1: Sub Pop. Us. Yeah. This Sub Pop podcast is brought to you by the Sub Pop Mega Mart. Sub Pop logo t-shirts. They slice, they... Da- <laughs> Sub Pop logo t-shirts. All
0: right, stop. Okay, so, um Stuart, can I buy... Records at the Sub Pop Mega Mart?
4: It's the main thing we sell.
0: Do you also sell t-shirts?
4: We have tons
1: of t-shirts.
0: Do you have any sweatshirts or hoodies?
1: We have the softest sweatshirts and hoodies available on the market right now.
0: Do you have keychains so that I can bring Sub Pop with me wherever I go? We do. Uh, Is there anything that I haven't mentioned that you have that you think is worth pointing out?
1: Books, videos.
0: Christmas stockings
1: loser Christmas stockings patches
0: patches
3: a large variety of patches
0: I think that's, that's everything we
3: need is it?
0: So the person that you just heard being harassed by me in that Megamart ad was Stuart Fletcher, who we have been working with on this podcast. He's been helping us with some interviews and some edits and the website. And in this next piece, it's actually Stuart who is interviewing Shearwater's Jonathan Myberg. Um, And Myberg has been in Shearwater for over a dozen years at this point, but he also has this much longer love affair with Studying birds,
1: which right. is equally long love affair. Yeah. Do we want to say love affair and birds in the same sentence? Well, I mean, not like in a gross way, not yeah. like
0: in like a Yakima way or something <laughs> or wherever that horse thing happened. Um, no, in like a legit scientist way. Jonathan Myberg is a legitimate scientist who studies birds and he is working on a book about birds of prey and their relationships with people that is more complicated than I completely understand. But he and Stuart sat down for a few hours and here is an excerpt from that conversation.
3: My first exposure to Pop was actually in a book, Michael Azarad's Our Band Could Be Your Life, which is strange because you know, I first met Jonathan Poneman as a character in Michael's book. The birds were here before I noticed them in my life. Um, Now, when I walk down the street, I notice them all the time. They were there before. I mean, I knew about sep a little bit because I'd seen the logo. Um, I knew about Nirvana. I remember when that was happening. I did not like Nirvana when they came out. I do now, but I didn't get it at the time. college, I got this weird traveling fellowship thing called the Thomas J. Watson Fellowship. They uh, fund you for a year to pursue a project that you design yourself in one or more countries outside the United States that you've never been to. And you have to go alone, and you can't come back for a year. I'd never left the southeastern United States. I just looked at a map and started seeing what looked far away. I've had a band now, I mean, Shearwater's been a band for 13 years. You know, the first records are not very good. (laughs) They're like training records, you know. You can find them, but I don't, you know, make them real available. Um, But I'm glad I made them, because I couldn't have made the later ones without the first ones. The locations I ended up going to were uh, the tip of Tierra del Fuego in Argentina, the Falkland Islands an aboriginal settlement in Australia uh, called Kawanyama which is up in the far north Cape, Cape York part of Queensland, it sticks up towards Papua New Guinea, the Chatham Islands of New Zealand, and then uh, an Inuit village in the Arctic uh, called Kimarut, which is on Baffin Island. So, I went away for this year, I came back from it and was just totally destroyed, and it's taken me many years to sort of uh, right myself from that experience. <laughs> So, this record I, I do feel is, I mean, it's the closest I've ever felt to feel like I, I did what I was trying to do. It's also the longest Shearwater record, so it's the best value for money. But it was because the songs themselves wanted to be longer. Some of them, I, I got nervous about how long they were and started trying to trim them back, and they, what was good about them started to vanish. So I thought, well, okay, then we're just, this is how long the songs are gonna be. Some of them stretch out six, seven minutes. But it doesn't feel ponderous to me, and I'm so very aware of that, I think, as a listener. One interest that's been abiding for me ever since that fellowship that I told you about was a strange set of birds that I first met in the Falkland Islands on that trip. They're this intelligent, social, curious, comical species, and they're called striated caracaras. They're actually related to falcons. It's sort of like if you built a crow on a falcon chassis. They're just the most unusual animals. They felt like a magical animal to me. instrumental music I think is you can be more patient with because it doesn't demand your attention in the same way the singer does. When you go there and you see them, um, they come up to you. They try to take things from you. They look at you as if they are completely your equal. They are not afraid of you one bit. I was just astonished by this animal. it, It was almost like a sort of spiritual connection with these things. (laughs) <laughs> it is, sonically it is like I'm, I'm, I'm prouder of this one sonically than I have been of any of them. That's that's an absolute truth I just was so pleased with what we were able to do in capturing sounds that meant something to me yeah. Each individual sound had, you know, it wasn't just like this sounded like a great snare drum It had some kind of emotional quality to it You know, it was really important to me Luckily, other people aren't interested in this bird, so it was possible to to keep up with what was happening with it without too much effort. Very little happened. That started slowly to change. That interest in that bird spread to interest in some of its other close relatives around South America, and I gradually started to become aware of this really big story that I think is not known by more than a few people, and it's about what happened to the world when the southern supercontinent of Gondwanaland split up. Back during the Cretaceous period, sounds pretty arcane, but the book that I'm working on right now, which is sort of the culmination of thinking about this for 20 years, uh, it begins in a little falconry park in Devonshire, England, which is like a, imagine a two flags, you know, they like, (laughs) 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 there's like, they have little rides for kids, and it's called Woodlands Family Leisure Park, and they have a little falconry center, and at this falconry center, there's a man named Jeff Pearson who for 33 years trained a striated caracara named Tina. Tina actually kind of trained Jeff. Tina did all kinds of things that birds of prey normally do not do. She was able to recognize little stuffed animals that Jeff would hold up for her by size and color and name. He would throw them out behind her. He'd like to go, here's Nemo, here's Miss Piggy, here's Donald Duck, and here's Cookie Monster. He'd throw them out behind him and say, go get Nemo. And Tina would jump down from a little perch, run along the ground, pick up Nemo in her bill, and then come back and dump in a little bucket and and expect she was going to get a treat, which she would. But he could also say, when she went to go get Nemo, he would say, okay, now wait, I've changed my mind. Get Donald Duck. And he wasn't looking at her, so he wasn't using some kind of cue. She was really going off his voice. He would do this in front of audiences. It's fascinating to watch. You can actually see that on YouTube. And then, outside of the little flying demonstrations he does at the Falconry Center with... Tina, and then other birds of prey. He also started just working with Tina kind of casually. It's just like a project he had in his back shed, you know? Like a guy who's just sort of tinkering on some object he's got. But in this case, he had this weird, rare South American raptor. So he designed all these little devices and experiments and things to see if she could see color and uh, you know how much she could remember and uh, how perceptive she was. Uh, And what he found was just this bird was unlike any other bird of prey he had ever encountered. Tina unfortunately died last year. She had had really bad arthritis and had to be put down. Uh, Jeff clearly misses her. He was friends with this animal. She died at the age of 33. They were apart for four years and he said when he came back after those four years she just went nuts. She was all over and she was so happy to see him. Very unusual for a bird of prey as well. So the question is, why were Jeff and Tina friends in a way that people and birds of prey are not friends usually? Why was Tina like this? But to answer that question, you have to go, well, the Earth used to be in two continents. You know? <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, so it's a book trying to explain, you know, how these gigantic sort of geological processes can eventually result in a weird relationship between a man and a bird at a falconry park in England.
0: That was Shearwater's Jonathan Myberg. His record, Jet Plane and Oxbow, is out now. Yes. Yeah. Listen to it. Buy it at the megamart. I don't know.
1: Yeah, buy it from the megamart. Yeah, there you go.
0: Next week on the podcast, we hear from Hardly Art's Sarah Moody, where we may or may not explain the relationship between Hardly Art and Sub Pop. And we also have a conversation with Noel and Jessica from Mass Gothic, who were nice enough to let Alyssa drag them into this weird murder studio room that we built on the second floor. <laughs> um, and we're going to save most of that interview for episode two, but we wanted to play this little snippet for you. It's uh, Jessica talking about the, the secret language she has with her family.
4: Eaten the four cheese jalapeno mac and cheese mm-hmm. with non elastic pants on. Elastic. Pants. Elastic. I always say non elastic You non-elastic. always say non elastic like, pants. I know. It's elastic like... When you're talking
3: about pants I would. You want I would never want to be
4: like eating a full pound of pasta with non elastic pants. But I, I just like the way it sounds better. Like, like It sounds great. It sounds great, It's just not it? the thing you're talking no, about. No, it's not at all the thing <laughs> I'm talking about. But non-elastic is everything that isn't elastic. <laughs> right. That's what I like the most. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like a it's like a thing that to say like oh it's I got to like put my like non-elastic. non-solid drinks. <laughs> but the thing is to say like after Thanksgiving dinner like oh I got to get my non-elastic pants doesn't make sense. <laughs> no. But that's but every single one of us in the Zambri family say that and we know that that doesn't make sense. But now it's just part of. The vocabulary, which is incorrect, have a but whole thing everyone's like, let's get those skinny either. jeans on. We've just had all this shit, but it's just, it sounds better now. Your all whole us. family said that? We all, we all <laughs> say it wrong. Together we say it wrong. It's oh, like,
1: I like that so much. We're just
4: crazy There's <laughs> a long Italians. list of
3: things like that.
4: Oh, can I hear one more? Oh, well, there's so many bad ones. I say things incorrect all the time, and... Honestly, sometimes... I, I've grown to love it. It's good to make up words. What do I... I don't know. You probably have a book somewhere. It's um, so endearing, She
3: likes to say, dial it up, dial it in nowadays. Well, like, people say It's that. more of a saying. People say that?
4: Oh, I say, uh, you must be joking me off.
3: Yeah. <laughs> are you joking? Like, if somebody's are you joking like... joking me off right It's now? like her version of, are you kidding me? Is, are you joking me off?
4: <laughs> oh it's, that one's pretty fun to say. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you if you try and
1: work that in in the meeting tomorrow yes. you will see like several people's faces why <laughs> not right, that no, well I got to do cuz yeah.
4: I, I love pleasing um <laughs> yeah i don't joking know how that happened off. like you got to be joking me off with this i don't know people are like i don't think you meant to say that and you're like well i did and i do know that it's wrong but i um, still said it <laughs> but we all know what we mean so yes. it's exactly. fine oh
1: that's
4: good I wish I never
1: but
0: Tune in next episode for more from Mask
1: Gothic. This episode we heard music from Mud Honey, Desatisfaction, S, Mask Gothic, Shearwater, Chad Van Galen. I think that's everybody but to be sure go to our website there's a playlist <laughs> with everyone that everyone's music that we use today and on that same website you'll find a sign up for our newsletter yes newsletter yeah. we subscribe. have a newsletter subscribe to this podcast if we're up and running <laughs> yes
0: you can also write to us uh you can email us we're podcast at com. you should
1: tell us sto- stories you want to hear
0: yeah And we're going to put new episodes out every Wednesday for the next 10-ish weeks with a very, very special season finale that I am so excited for. (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening. I am Arwen Nix with the effervescent Alyssa Atkins.
1: (laughs) Thanks to... These satisfactions, Kat Harris-White and Shearwater's Jonathan Myberg for allowing us to interview you and being so game. We really appreciate it.
0: Also, we want to thank Stuart Fletcher for all his help with season one of the Sub Pop podcast.
1: Sure. Thanks, Stuart. (laughs) And uh, a very
0: special thanks to the Sub Pop Brass, General Manager Chris Jacobs, Vice President Megan Jasper and the overlord, the president of Sub Pop Records, Jonathan Poneman. Thanks, JP. Thank
2: you.
5: God, blah, blah, blah.